Welcome to Horror Nights In Podcast. Scary movies. Uh Uh-huh. What's your favorite scary movie? Here's Johnny! You're gonna need a bigger boat. The boogeyman is real. And you found him. Hi guys, and welcome to episode 49 of Horror Nights In Podcast with your one and only host, me, Crystal. I also have my wonderful co-host, the one and only Roxy the Kitty, who adds in her comments here and there depending on the topic. So I recently redid my entire episode catalog on SoundCloud, which is why the last episode I was in the 20s and this episode is now in the 40s. I also redid the covers as well, so I hope you enjoy that newly added touch, and it makes it more organized on my end. So I upload a new podcast every Monday at noon Eastern Standard Time. On this podcast, we talk about my life, my favorite horror movie of the week that you guys pick, and anything else horror, so thank you for being here. I also challenge all of you listening to leave me an iTunes review. It not only makes my days better, it also helps other horror fiends find me. You can also find me on the socials, on Twitter at HorrorDaddiesRS, Instagram at HorrorNightsInPodcast, and on Tumblr at HorrorNightsInPodcast, so be sure to follow me on there for all the latest Horror Nights in Podcast news. Once again, thank you to everyone who participated in my most recent poll on Twitter. I appreciate everyone who took the time to vote. So on this mini-review episode of Horror Nights in Podcasts, we are delving into the 2019 horror film Midsummer. I'll be giving you the Rotten Tomatoes, the IMDb score, then delving deep into the plot, characters, and my overall honest and horrific opinion of the film. So, Midsummer, Rotten Tomatoes gave this film an 82% with 61% of the audience liking it. IMDb gave it a 7.7 out of 10. Midsummer was released July 3rd of this year with a running time of 140 minutes. The film was written and directed by Ari Aster. The film stars Florence Pugh, Jack Reiner, and William Jackson Harper. So a quick IMDb synopsis of this film is a couple travels to Sweden to visit a royal, a rural hometown's fabled Midsummer Festival. What begins as an idyllic retreat quickly dissolves into an increasingly violent and bizarre competition at the hands of a pagan cult. So before we get into the rest of the episode, I'm going to play you the trailer. I told you that I want to go to that festival in Sweden. No, you said it would be cool to go. Yeah, and then I got the opportunity and I decided Look, I to do it. I don't mind you going. I just wish you would have told me. That's all. Dude, she needs a therapist. You've been wanting out of this stupid relationship for like a year now. And don't forget about all of the beautiful Swedish women you'll meet in June. Okay, guys. That's not her again. Seriously? Babe, what's happening? Daddy. I was so very sorry to hear about what happened. I'm sorry. Mm. 
come to Sweden. You know what she's been going through? Christian says you've got this special week planned. It's sort of a crazy festival. Special ceremonies and dressing up. It sounds fun. directions, explanations, histories, and deep dives I can take into this film, but I wanted to first focus on Danny, who is played by Florence Pugh. So this film surrounds the failing relationship between Danny and her boyfriend, Christian. So um, the director was actually going through his own breakup um, at the same time that he wrote this film. Their relationship is on the rocks throughout the entire film with Danny dealing with the murder-suicide of her sisters and parents and with her mental illness of anxiety and panic attacks. It is never said clearly if she dealt with these particular disorders, but we do see a bottle at Ativan and a phone call to a friend where she is overanalyzing and overthinking her four-year relationship, which leads me to believe that it is anxiety and depression that she is dealing with and um, panic attacks. Her sister, Terry, who isn't pictured much on screen, um, had bipolar disorder type 1. So being someone who deals with anxiety and panic attacks like myself, I relate to Danny, but it also puts a stigma or false warnings to others that people with mental illnesses will snap the sight of trauma and will kill our loved ones, which is the most extreme case and most of the time will not happen. Anxiety is something that I deal with in my own mind, in my own head, And most of the time, I don't tell other people unless it's someone very close to me and if it's some, if I feel very trapped in my own thoughts. So I want to focus now on Mark, uh, one of Christian's friends that we see uh, being almost the comic relief of the film. Uh, Mark is extremely insensitive to Danny, who in his mind leans on Christian too much for support when she should be calling her therapist, as he says. Um, As I mentioned earlier, anxiety does not have an off switch. Therefore, when you are deep in your own thoughts, you need relief and a distraction and someone to help you work through the anxiety. 
Uh, at this point, Danny is labeled as the crazy, needy girlfriend of Christian. And being that Christian's confidence is low, he needed the acceptance from his male friends. So instead of standing up to Danny to his friends, he simply shrugs and doesn't really say anything. Uh, we see Danny is continuing to struggle with Christian and her mental illness throughout the entire film when she even says uh, she feels like a burden and an inconvenience to everyone. So as the film progresses, Danny begins to lean more on the Swedish community than her own boyfriend and his friends. The Swedish community represent a support system in a family that she doesn't have anymore. Uh, I do apologize, guys. It just started downpouring and thundering and lightning. So if you hear something in the background, it is most likely this thunderstorm that I'm experiencing while recording this podcast. So anyway, um, so Pele, who is Christian's sweetest friend who invited the group to witness the midsummer celebration, relates to Danny the most with his story of also losing his parents in a fire feeling held and it feeling like home, which is exactly what a person with abandonment issues almost yearns to hear from someone in their life. It's almost as if Danny was destined to this new life, um, where the people, it's all about embracing their emotions and taking on the emotions of others versus the norm where we're supposed to keep the emotions in because it makes us crazy or needy or puts a stigma of a mental illness on there, Danny is able to literally burn away the toxic people in her life as she watches the structural temple burn to the ground. Now, I want to shift and talk about the ending of the film. I don't want to explain the ending because I think everyone has different interpretations and opinions. But for me, I believed the ending was happy for Danny. She got rid of the toxicity that was holding her back. She was able to embrace her new life in Sweden. As I mentioned earlier, it was almost as if she was destined to be the May Queen. Her birthday coincides with the beginning of the festival. She's in her mid-twenties, which pertains to the title of the movie, considering they look at their life and seasons, and she also has nothing to go back to. But a few days after I saw the film, I started thinking about the ending and how it might not be as happy as I thought. Danny would eventually come down off of her literal high and realize that she is thousands of miles away from home in this brand new world with people she doesn't know. She also kills her boyfriend of four years. Yes, he was a terrible boyfriend, but did that mean that he deserved to die? There's also their brutal, brutal tradition of jumping off of a cliff at age 72, which might not be something to look forward to. Another thing I wanted to touch on uh, were the gory portions of the film. So in the director's follow-up film, the body count was up and the gore factor had reached new levels. So apparently he, reached, he researched Viking torture methods in order to draw inspiration for the film, which is actually very disturbing that these things happened in real life. So the first deaths were of Danny's parents and sister ingesting the carbon monoxide from the cars. She rigged hoses into her parents' bedroom and then went into her own mouth. Then we have the gory, extremely gory deaths of the two elders when they jumped off the cliff. 
One gets their face smashed in the rock, and the other misses a rock, breaks both his legs, so the other finish him off with a club to the face. Then we have the London couple. It isn't clear how the girl dies, but later in the movie, we see the guy was suspended from the ceiling from hooks in a chicken coop. But the craziest part is that his lungs are exposed, and in one article I read, his lungs are apparently still operating, aka he was still alive. So next is Josh, who was the original friend who wanted to write his thesis on this cult. He meets his demise when he is hit over the head by someone who is wearing Mark's face. So this scene wasn't too disturbing for me because being a fan of House of Thousand Corpses and Texas Chainsaw Massacre, we've seen the villains put on other people's faces and wear them as their own. Then we have Christian die when he is selected by Danny to be sewn into a bear and burned alive in the sacred temple. A side note I wanted to add is that Christian was full-on gaslighting Danny and then ends it up getting burned alive. Just a little wordplay for you there if you can kind of figure that one out. I'm hoping the rain kind of slows down a little bit so we don't get this weird static noise in the background. I do apologize again for that, guys, but um, so I'm just going to keep going. Um, so something else I wanted to touch on was the disturbing and the almost too much for me scenes. I'm all about being creative, pushing the limit, but the scenes with the period blood, the pubic hair, and the group sex, act, sex acts were scenes I really just had to look away from and cover my eyes. Um, I felt as if these scenes only needed to be a few seconds long to capture what the cult was actually doing. I am all for being grossed out by gore, but not by body hair and fluids and sex scenes. I don't want to come off as naive or close-minded about these scenes because cultures that are different from mine doesn't make them wrong, but it also doesn't mean I want to see a five-minute scene of it. A few seconds would have sufficed for me. So I really think that those few scenes kind of took away from the movie for me a little bit. Um, I truly believe that they were more of a distraction for me than anything. And as I said, I don't want to come off as naive or, and I don't want to come off as close-minded because I watch horror movies all the time, as you know. But I just felt these scenes were a little bit too much and really just could have been left to the imagination instead of seeing it completely zoomed in and just, I don't know. I, I'm sure that many other people have different opinions than me, but that's just how I feel about those particular scenes. So did I like the film? Yes and no. Overall, it was a beautiful film. I enjoyed the light and the dark contrasts of Danny's life in the U.S. versus her new life in Sweden. Uh, the camera techniques are very unique to the director and the production team, and very similar to Hereditary. I like the actress who played Danny and the others, but I wish there was more of what happened to them, to the Americans, to the London couple. I also wanted more of the rituals and their traditions. Now, I did read an article that in the director's cut of the film, there will be more footage of what I just talked about. If you listen to my Hereditary episode, you know that I wasn't the biggest fan of it, but upon seeing Midsummer, I would choose Hereditary over Midsummer any day. During Hereditary, I was totally hooked and couldn't look away. But 
midsummer, I felt myself getting almost bored and a little distracted. I think overall, I really did just want more. I wanted more interaction between uh, the Americans and the cult. I wanted more of uh, just more, just more depth. I wanted the director to go deeper, which is what I think that he did in Hereditary, which is why I thought Hereditary was better than Midsummer. Um, you know, I know that there's a lot of opinions out there. I know that people who didn't like Hereditary loved Midsummer. Um, I know people who didn't like either of the movies. Um, but if I had to choose either one of his films, I would have to say um, Hereditary. Um, I don't think that I would want to see Midsummer again. I think seeing it in the theater was enough for me, um, especially those few particular scenes I talked about. Um, I am always up for changing the face of horror and how horror has developed over the years from, you know, slasher films to um, mental illness, things like that. I, I do believe that directors like Ari Aster and Jordan Peele are doing a good job in changing that face of horror. But at the end of the day, I think some of the messages that were portrayed in Midsummer could have definitely come off a little bit. It just could have been done a little bit different. Uh, I do appreciate that horror is getting a better say in things, but I will not be seeing this movie again. <laughs> All right, guys, thank you so much for tuning in to this mini-review episode of Horror Nights in Podcast with your one and only host, me, Crystal, and my co-host, Roxy. If you enjoyed this mini-episode, go listen to another one, binge it out, leave me a review, and have the best week wherever you are and whatever you do. And remember to always give your honest and horrific opinion no matter what. Bye, guys.